The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. If you would turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 35, we'll be reading verse 4 through 29, and then we'll conclude with um, chapter 39, verse 42 and 43. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles, and all its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps, and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords and finally worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women. All who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns, or fine linen, or goat's hair, or tanned ram skins, or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. 
all the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light, and for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so they had done it. Then Moses blessed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Gwen. Good morning. Hope you're all doing well. My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here at Park Church. Um, looking forward to getting into this passage with you all. One of the reasons is because it's one of the only places in Exodus where the people of God did something good. Uh, so that's kind of fun uh, for us today. Cool. Um, also, before we get in, just for the record, I am 100% with Neil. Uh, no Christmas trees or Christmas music before Thanksgiving. I mean, that should just be a thing for everybody. Yeah, I'm, I mean, there's mixed opinions, uh, but I'm just saying... If you, uh, if you have agency and you work in a department store, please use your agency to stop that nonsense. All right. Um, anyway, we're, uh, we're here to spend time in God's word, and we actually believe God is with us. Uh, he's with us. He cares about us. He cares about you. And, uh, and we'll say often as a church that you can kind of come into a place and we're like, oh, you should like leave your distractions and leave all your life out at the door and just come and be with Jesus. And I don't think that's what Jesus calls us to. I think Jesus calls us to come to him with our life, with where we are, the burdens and the anxieties and the fears and the struggles and the distractions and to come to him with it. Uh, not to kind of tuck it away, but to say, this is a part, this is where I'm kind of like, this is where my attention is, it's where my life is, it's what I'm feeling, it's what I'm going through. And so here I am. And we believe that Jesus actually wants to, through his word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, to speak to you in that place today. And so we're going to ask him to do that. We're going to kind of calm our hearts. God is here, and he cares about you. Um, so let's ask him to speak this morning. Let's pray. God, would you, this morning, would you open up our eyes again to the reality of your presence? You're here, and um, so we want to come and say we're, we're here and we want to be attentive we sang our hearts are open to you. And so would you help us to truly open up our hearts and that you would speak with power, with clarity, with encouragement for those who need it, for those that feel weak and weary, that you would encourage them who those, for those who are wandering, um, that you would call them to return, for those that would be in a place of just apathy, that you would um, cause a love for you to arise in them as they even consider your love for them. For those that are stuck somewhere in life, feel stuck, um, that you would remind them that even there, you're with them. You would loose chains and bonds and remind them of your faithfulness. And so we pray this morning that you would not merely remind us of your presence, but that you would unleash us, empower us in this world to be agents of your presence, that we would be those who communicate and share and spread the glory of your presence uh, in this world. We want your glory to flood this place like the water's cover the sea. And so Holy Spirit, would you be poured out on us in powerful ways. In Christ's name, amen. 
Um, I've been rereading the book, A Brave New World, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. I say rereading loosely because I think in high school when I read it, I read the spark notes of it. Uh, and so like things are semi-familiar, but I'm like, oh, that's, that's weird. Um, and so reading, maybe reading the book, uh, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Aldous Huxley was an English philosopher, writer, um, who then moved to LA um, sometime in the 1930s. Uh, but he wrote this book in 1932, it was published in 1932, and it's, it's a disturbing dystopia. I mean, it's this like, dystopic future, um, kind of like unpacking what future, kind of like if we continue to perpetuate the kind of society-oriented broken systems that were kind of plaguing America at the time and in Europe at the time, what might that future look like taken to its kind of like end? And so it's, it's a pretty disturbing book in some significant ways, but it's incredibly insightful. And uh, I want to share with you two disturbing scenes. Uh, so that's fun. Um, one of the scenes that happens at the beginning, it's just like there's this um, kind of uh, world state that's in control and they're looking for community stability and security and identity. And they're kind of like, there's this theme, they're trying to control society. And so in this day and age, kind of several hundred years in the future, there are no more families. Children aren't born into a family. Uh, family, husband, wife, uh, mother, father is actually seen as pornographic. They've conditioned like humanity to see that as like, oh, gross, that's immoral and bad. They're, humans are being hatched in these hatcheries that are kind of like, um, kind of through a bunch of different medical means, you know, eggs are um, fertilized and they're multiplied into like 90 something, you know, children will come out of one fertilized egg and, uh, and these embryos are grown and essentially harvested in a hatchery. And so there's a scene at the beginning, you're kind of like getting oriented to the book and it's bizarre. Um, they're going to grow these different human beings in these kind of different class systems, these different castes. And there's going to be alphas, betas, gammas, deltas, epsilons, and they're going to have their place. And so they're conditioning them from the very inception of their um, existence, even while they're still uh, in the kind of this embryonic state to kind of be fitted for their specific caste. And so they're dumbing down certain castes and they're giving intelligence to others and they're conditioning different things to kind of get people ready for these specific things they're going to be doing in society. And, uh, and there's this scene in the story um, after some of these um, embryos, I think it's deltas that were born and they're about eight months old. There's this whole kind of a like community of eight months old, eight month old um, and there's a director of the hatchery who's taking a bunch of alphas and the alphas are going to be the ones that kind of run the system moving forward and he's taking them, orienting them to what's going on, what's happening and why they do what they do. And so these alphas, kind of like, you know, um, adolescent alphas are kind of in this room and the director's explaining what's happening and all these carts of these eight-month-olds are carried into this room. The eight-month-old, they're unloaded off the carts and they go into this ground and the room's a beautiful room and it's like there's this big window and it's sunny outside and on this table there are all these books and these roses, kind of stacked colorful books, children's books and these roses and they put the kids down and the kids are all just kind of excited and they're kind of looking around and they're crawling their way over to this table and finally once kind of all the kids get to this table and they're looking at the books and looking at the flowers, um, the director signals to some of the attendants and they flip some switch and these sirens go off and these explosions and this loud clashing bells are going and all the kids just freak, freak out. And then to make it worse, they electrify the floor and the kids start getting kind of shocked, like this shock treatment. And it's this horrific, like it's disturbing. I know you feel disturbed. It is. It's a disturbing scene. You're like, what is happening? And then he's like, you know, yelling over all the noise, like, isn't this incredible? You know, and they're kind of watching. And so they stop all the noise and they put the books back on the thing. And now none of the kids 
will go to these books or these flowers. And they'll do this 200 or so times to condition the children towards certain desires and antipathies, certain kind of like resistance to certain things. And so he explains to them that they're actually taking this class, this Delta class, and they're saying, we don't want them to want to learn and to grow because that's not going to be their role in society. And so we know how we can shape their role in society. We've learned enough about human psychology to shape and to attach to them the idea of learning with these kind of like um, unpleasant experiences and noises. And so then this kid's like, well, what about the roses? You know, tell me about the roses. Why the roses? And he said, well, the issue is what we are doing is we actually, in some other ways, we condition them to love transportation so that the deltas would want to kind of like travel all over the place because it would hold up our kind of transportation industry, the economy. And so we'll have certain people conditioned to build transportation systems, certain people conditioned to use those transportation systems. So we condition them to like flowers and like nature and like the kind of wildlife. But then they just go out and they kind of take our kind of public transportation out into the uh, kind of nature and they'd enjoy nature, but nature has no kind of utilitarian purpose. It has no economic value. And so we realize that we are wasting an opportunity. And so we condition them to hate nature. We're conditioning them now to hate nature, but we're conditioning them to love kind of like sporting events and activities. So we put these sporting stadiums way out, far away from the cities with these kind of elaborate, costly experiences. And we condition them to love that, to gravitate towards it, so that they'll want to travel, so they'll kind of spend money on our, on our kind of transportation system. Then they'll spend money on our kind of sporting entertainment. And then they'll travel back, but they'll never waste time in nature. And all that they're doing in this whole system is they're controlling society by shaping certain types of desires. There's another scene in a couple chapters later where they're talking about this kind of, um, this kind of hypnotic voice that's going over these kind of like um, children that can't speak. And, and the voice is saying a bunch of things. One of, the, one of it says, more stitches, less riches. More stitches, less riches. And what it's doing is it's training. This is coming out just after the 1920s, after the stock market crash in 1929. It's teaching people that clothes don't need to be thought of as a utilitarian way. If you get a little rip or if you get something worn out, you should get new things because it says something about who you are and it says something about your status and conditioning people from the beginning not to think about possessions as things that have functional value, but things that have a value of status and happiness. And this is one of the themes that's going to stretch throughout the whole book, which is what some people have called the commodification of happiness. That happiness is something that could be acquired, could be gained, could be bought, could be attained through the things you accumulate for yourself. Now, what's interesting to me about this whole thing, you're like, why, why does this matter? Um, because Aldous Huxley wasn't just like writing a cool book. He, is a philo- like he had a philosophical mind. and He was paying attention to what was happening in society. And in the 1920s, uh, both in Europe and in the United States, there were massive movements around this kind of new idea of crowd psychology that they've learned that you can actually get crowds to have certain passions and desires, and those crowds will absolutely follow their desires. And so if we teach the, the masses to find joy or happiness in these certain things they can acquire, we can actually build an economic system that both leads to some stability and leads to economic progress by teaching people to kind of like gain more and more that they can get happiness through what they do and what they accomplish. And it was the beginning of the public relations movement. It was the beginning of the advertising movement. It was the beginning of all this kind of like idea of marketing, using human psychology to shape the desires of humanity to move us towards happiness, uh, which is what we do. And so there's uh, one guy named Edward Bernays, who's actually the nephew of um, Sigmund Freud, who is kind of like the father 
of this movement. And he wrote a book on propaganda. He wrote um, another book that was called, it was called, Christ, um, what was it? The Crystallizing of Public Opinion. Just like, how do we get people to think a certain way? And that has shaped our society for the past hundred years. To the point now today where we are kind of surrounded, saturated with messages and voices that are appealing to you, that are attaching to you certain ideas of if I get this thing, it will give me this experience. And they've learned how to do that. It's like, and, and advertising has profitable, helpful values, but the system is, understands the way humanity thinks and has actually shaped us in some really, really significant ways. And the reason why I think that matters is because when we stop and pay attention to that reality, we, we question the status quo of our lives, what's shaped our loves, what's shaped our affections, what's shaped the way we think where life comes from. I think we'll realize, and we see this in this passage, that God is actually in the business of redeeming people from systems that cannot give life and bringing us into his kingdom, which can give life. And it actually requires a reorientation, not merely of the way we rest and think, but it actually requires a reorientation of the way we think about the life we live in and the work that we do in this world. And you're like, man, are you like some conspiracy theorist or something? You know, like, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I think there's an enemy who wants to destroy you, right? So maybe, uh, maybe I am. Like maybe, maybe there is a spiritual being, a spiritual power that does not want you to experience life with God. Maybe there's spiritual forces of darkness that are waging war against our souls. And maybe, maybe like we have been believing some of those lies, which that enemy, one of his names is the deceiver. And we've been leaving, believing those lies and moving towards them in ways that might be affecting our experience of God. And maybe as we've given our lives to these things and they don't satisfy because they're not designed by God to satisfy, maybe that's where a lot of the dissatisfaction, the discontent, the frustration, and the despair, and the kind of like pains, and the anxieties, and the depression that is pervasive in our society. Maybe it's coming from this reality that we're giving our lives to a way towards life that God has never designed to give us life. And so what I, what I want to see this morning is we've been looking through the book of Exodus about how God is not merely redeeming us from these systems, which we live in a system, a society is a system that's aimed at creating certain values towards a certain end. American society, Denver society is a system that you live in. God's in the business of redeeming us from captivity to those systems to lead us into the place where life actually comes from, life in his kingdom. One of the things we've paid attention to for the past several weeks, and it's at the very beginning of chapter 35, is he's called us to push against the tyranny of work and burdensome labor, slavish labor, and he's actually offered us rest. And so the first few verses of 35 are offering us rest, reminding us to put the rest with God, enjoying God, putting God at the center of our life, at, at the very center. But in this passage, what we're seeing is he's not merely redeeming us from slavish labor to rest. He's actually redeeming us from this slavish, destructive, exhausting labor. He's actually redeeming our work. And that's what we're gonna see in this passage, that God's actually redeeming our work. He's redeeming the energy of our lives to be given towards his kingdom and towards the enjoyment and the spreading of his presence. He's redeeming the energy, the activity, the vocation, the desire, the passion, the education, the skills, the giftings, the resourcings, all that he's given you. It's not just like push away and go be a monk somewhere up in the mountains. Like he's actually redeeming the fabric of your day-to-day -day life 
to be things that contribute to his kingdom, spread the glory of his presence in this world. And it's a really, really powerful passage. We looked at the tabernacle several weeks back. And so I'm not gonna get into all the details of the different pieces of the tabernacle. If you weren't here for that, we, we preached on it, got into a fair bit of detail on those different aspects. What we're looking at in this first chapter in particular is how the people of God responded to this call, willingly, joyfully, not to like, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. This invitation to give of themselves for his kingdom, for his mission in the world, which has to do with every single day of your life. And so let's, um, what I wanna do this morning is look through really three, three movements. The whole thing, um, could, I'm gonna frame it in these contrasts, what they'd experienced previously and what God was calling them into um, in this kingdom life with his presence. And so here's, uh, here's the first one that I want us to look at. That God wants to move us, he wants to move you from your kingdom project to God's kingdom project. He wants to move you from your kingdom project to God's kingdom project. Um, the people of God have previously been spending all of their effort and their energy in Egypt, and they were working, working, working in a system that was going to exalt Pharaoh, exalt the land of Egypt, exalt the people of Egypt. The system was made to exalt a certain people group in Egypt, and it was crushing humanity. It was crushing these human beings that were created in God's image to know him. Not merely was it crushing them, but it was also keeping them away from his presence. And the reality is that we all live in these kind of like systems. And this is, again, this is like, we keep talking about just keep kicking the hornet's nest of like American like presuppositions. Like you live in a world that's like calling you to give your life for things that can't give you life. And our life begins to be filled up with them where we work and we work and we work, which work is good, we're gonna see that, but we work towards the attainment of things or the accumulation of things that can't give life and it's crushing and God is in the business of taking us out of that kind of Egypt-like experience to bring us into a better way of using your life, using your energy and your resources for his kingdom. Look with me at chapter 35, verse four through 10. It says, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all the Lord has commanded. And so they have been experiencing this life using their energy, using their skill, using their resources in a kingdom that couldn't give life. And God is redeeming them and saying, use those things, not as this obligation, this burden that's crushing you, but he's stirring in their heart to give them this joyful desire. I want to center my life on God. What's interesting about it is this is happening right after massive, massive failure where they had turned to these idolatrous systems, they had used their life and their energy to build this golden calf. This is the God that rescued us and this is the God that's gonna lead us through this land and through its challenges and through its difficulties. And, and we get some Yahweh too, we want some Jesus too, we want some Christianity too, but like these things are what, what are gonna give me life. These things like the community around me is chasing after these idols and these bulls and these calves and these gods and the community behind us that we came from is chasing after that and we're gonna keep some of that, keep some Yahweh and kind of pull these things together and that's what's gonna give us life. And God is saying, no, I want you to spend your energy and your effort on my kingdom and my presence. Put me at the center. There's um, one of my favorite uh, books of the Bible, one of my favorite prophetic books of the Bible is Haggai, the book of Haggai. 
um, sometimes not very familiar to many people. Um, Haggai is, is a book that's written to the people of Israel much later in their story. They, uh, they're, gonna, they're building this tabernacle right now. They're going to make it through the promised land. Uh, they're going to go into um, this kind of land of Canaan, and eventually they're going to build a brick-and-mortar temple. That's going to be done by Solomon a couple hundred, few hundred years later. They're going to build this temple, but in the 6th century BC, this nation Babylon is going to absolutely, absolutely decimate them. They're going to forget about the presence of God. They're going to compromise with surrounding nations. They're going to get destroyed. The temple is going to get totally destroyed, and they're taken into captivity. They stayed in captivity for about 70 years, begging for God to bring them back to the land. They finally come back to the land. The temple that they built is in ruins, total ruins. The temple is like, this is where the presence of God is supposed to dwell among us, and it's in ruins. They make it back to Jerusalem, and it's this idea that they're gonna build the temple and restore everything, but they don't. Uh, They don't rebuild the temple. They don't prioritize the presence of God, and they begin kind of like just building their lives while ignoring the presence of God. And so Haggai's prophetically speaking into that reality. And listen to this and just... Tell me if you hear our society and maybe your own life in some of this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Like we're here and your house is in ruins, but like not yet. Not yet. We're not going to pay attention to your presence yet. There's some more we have to do. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your Paneled houses while this house, my house, lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. Like you've been giving yourself to this this stuff and these things, but not much return is coming. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. He's saying, you are spinning your wheels, trying to find life and joy and warmth and security and comfort in life by improving your lifestyle, which is the American version of like progress. Upgrade your lifestyle. Like, let's just upgrade our homes and let's upgrade our life and let's upgrade our family and let's upgrade our relationships and let's upgrade our possessions and let's upgrade my position. And let's just like, if I go a little further and you're like, let's upgrade my retirement, let's upgrade. And it's like, but I'm not feeling joy and I'm not feeling life. And it's like, you're putting clothes on and you're not warm. You're, you're eating and you're drinking, but you're not full. You're not quenched. You're, you're filling a bag with money and it's like, still not enough. And the Lord is saying in this passage, that's by design. Because we've ignored his presence, which gives life, not the upgrading of our lifestyle. And so he says this, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And I would just say, like, I think the Lord wants to say this to us. Consider your life. Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. Prioritize my presence. My house is in ruins. You've ignored the reality that my kingdom wasn't about your comfortable house and you being out of Babylon. My kingdom was about my presence in the middle with you. Build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. You were chasing and chasing and chasing and it didn't satisfy. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. The Lord did. When you built like the kind of life that you wanted and it doesn't feel like satisfying, it's because the Lord saw you build a life and just said, When you acquired the kind of like status you wanted 
It didn't feel like satisfying or it started falling apart and the Lord is just, and you built the retirement that you wanted and you kind of, and like, or you're trying and you're feeling it crumbling and you're feeling it's not satisfying. The Lord, he's actively obstructing our attempts to actually build a life apart from his presence, actively. Not because he's against us, but because he's for our deepest longings, which are for him. He's against our idolatrous attempts to build a life without him because you weren't designed for it. You're designed to find life with him. He says, why, declares the Lord? He's going to tell us why. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land, and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. He's saying, I am actively obstructing your attempts to build a successful, happy life without me. And that's hard until you like realize that it's love. It's a severe mercy in the words of C.S. Lewis. It's something God is actually doing to help us say life is with him. Like focus on prioritizing his presence in life. And when you orient your life around his presence, then all of the good work he's called you to do in your home and in your work and society and around us, all the good things find their true meaning and value, not as the givers of life, but as opportunities to love and to serve and to show the presence of God and the kindness of God to those around us, that he be glorified and take pleasure in us. We are the tabernacle extending the presence of God as we walk with him and live our lives for his glory and the good of other people. But that means a reorienting of your life away from building your life and your agenda and your own kind of like attempt at like building whatever it is you think is going to give you. Say God is going to be at the center of my life. I'm going to orient myself around him. I'm going to put him at the beginning of my day, in the middle of the day, and the end of the day so that I can be thinking about him throughout the day. God is with me. He loves me. He's for me. Now I get to love and serve people with the vocation and the gifts and the skills that he's given you. Instead of using my life to build and labor and support and substantiate and propagate a system that will never give life to anybody. Which brings us into the second movement. That God wants to move us from idolatrous waste to kingdom-oriented generosity. He wants to move us away from idolatrous waste to kingdom-oriented generosity. And I think this is a, a powerful contrast. Um, one of the things that's happening in this passage, um, they're bringing, it says, the people of God responded, just like in Haggai. By the way, if you read Haggai, the people of God respond beautifully. It's really amazing. They're like, just like here. They had just built these golden calves, and now they're responding to the Lord. What's interesting about it is it says this um, in, let's see, verse, uh, verse 22. So they came, both men and women, all who are of a willing heart, all who are, this wasn't obligation, this wasn't burden, this was like, you're doing things wrong, you're doing things wrong, bad, 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 stop, 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 prohibition, prohibition, prohibition. It was invitation to a better way, invitation to joy. And so they're coming with these willing hearts and these kind of like generous hearts. And they came, both men and women, all who are of a willing heart, and they brought their brooches and their earrings and signet rings and armlets and all sorts of gold objects. They're dedicating gold. They're bringing their skills, men and women bringing their skills and their craft. Verse 25, and every skillful woman spun with her hands and they all brought what they had spun and blue and purple, really valuable fabric and yarns and fine linen. These are all to contribute to the building of the tabernacle. All the women whose hearts stirred in them to use their skill. They spun the goat's hair and the leaders brought the onyx stones and stones to be set and the ephod for the breast, uh, for the breast piece. And they brought these spices, and it says, all, this is verse 29, all the men and women 
the people of Israel, whose hearts moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord, for the work that the Lord had commanded them by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering. They just said, yes, we're in for your kingdom. We're in for your presence. We're done using our earrings and our gold and our resources and our skills to build golden calves, which they had just done. We're done with it because we, do we remember what happened? Moses came down not super happy, like real angsty, um, and, and destroyed the calf, ground it up to powder, poured it in water, and said, drink it. Drink it. You want to you see the end of this kind of life that's given to these things that don't give life while ignoring the presence of God? The end of it is this kind of like toxic, sickening, kind of like disruptive experience that ultimately is, I'll say this week, excreted. Um, and it's a pile of waste. Like when you give yourself to what, what the society around us is saying is going to give you life, it, will, it is toxic. It will suffocate your life and it will lead to something that's like, what, what do I have? I mean, the last half of your life is going to be the stripping of things. It really is. The family you build is going to move away and hard things happen and there's pain. Right? The health that you labored for in your CrossFit and your diets is going to fade. Right? The possessions that you gave, you're going to write it into a document to say who's going to get it next. Because it's going to give them joy. Now, it doesn't mean any of those things are bad. What's, what's awesome about this is they gave all that stuff for these broken systems. What the Lord is doing is not saying don't do any of that stuff. He's redeeming it all. He's redeeming the way we think about our work. He's giving you skills. He's giving you resources. He's giving you, he's giving you vision and experiences and gifts and, and to use them not as a way to find life without him and promote life without him, but as a way to show his love as those who have experienced life with him. He's at the center. And so now I use my life to show his love. I go to my work tomorrow, not to kind of like, kind of exalt myself with status or to get a kind of like income level that's gonna get me the life that I think will give me joy or the vacations or the experience of the retirement, but I can give myself to people because God is with me and he loves me. He's the giver of life. So I can think about creating products and services that, that help humanity and show the love of God to, to my neighbors and to society. And I can go to my work and I can think about, God, give me wisdom and, and strength to think about ways to do this well. And, and I can think about, God, who, you've given me a, a kindness. And I notice when people are hurting, like, who can I encourage? How can I use that personality and that wiring and that attentiveness that you've given me to encourage somebody? And how can I think about my family and not kind of pushing my kids along in the American dream, trying to give them a head start or a good push on the American dream? But how do I help my kids love you and actually, like, orient our life and give all of the gifts God's given you, all of them? Like, and we have, yeah, I mean, I mean, there are needs here. It's like, this is like the perfect passage. to be like, give more money to the church and serve and park kids. Now, you should do that stuff. Give of yourself to the world with everything, every ounce, every aspect of your house, panel your house to create a space that's like an oasis for your family and for others to invite them in. Like, use your home and your life and your income and your skills and your gifts and just go out into the world not as these as though these things are the things you have to chase more and more more which is what Bernays and all the propaganda efforts in the 20s have been telling you will give you life God's pulling us out of that I give you life now use your life for the good of others and for my fame and glory that's the spreading of the presence of God it's the building of the tabernacle as you go out tomorrow and do your stuff that God's called you to do it's awesome what he's called us to. And to say, yes, I'm going to push away from these things. And I'm going to run towards you, towards your presence, center my life on you. And it means putting our life, putting Jesus, putting the spirit of God at the center, which is this last 
movement in the passage. And it says this. Um, Well, I'll just, the movement is from self-reliance towards spiritual power. We're moving from relying on our own strength and our own efforts and our own flesh towards relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to labor for his kingdom. The power of the Holy Spirit is not going to help you build your kingdom. I just can tell you that. But he will help us build his. Exodus 35 verse 30 says this. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord is called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he's filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, for, for work in every skilled craft. And he's inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab. I should have worked on that name beforehand. The son of uh, um, Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill. Filled, he has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine, twin and lin, uh, fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. He's poured out this on them. It says the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of a sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. Um, this is this image. God's poured out his spirit on his people to labor for the building of his tabernacle. We've learned this as we've gone through Exodus that God is in us. We are the dwelling place of God and he's given you gifts and skills. And what does it look like? Not just to think like, what's my spiritual gift? It must be this thing, so I have to do that thing. But just saying, spirit of God, I'm here. What have you given me? Have you given me insight to like love and encourage? Have you given me skill to work in this area? Have you given me opportunity? Just everything is from the spirit and to say, God, what, what would you give me to show your love and your glory to others? To go into a meeting and think, God, give me wisdom in this meeting to have insight, how to have a good outcome. There's a lot of different perspectives and different values that are coming into this room. I want to lead through it well and, and see a way through it. I want to contribute ideas. God, give me skill in this photography as I try to capture this image to get this beauty or this real deep pain. I want to capture this in a way that's compelling and communicate something to the world about the beauty and the brokenness in the world. God, God, God give me the ability to, to care for these people well and to teach these children well and to show these, this glory to this place here and, and give me the ability to think about justice and how to reframe our organizational structures that build more equity and opportunity for people. God, give me wisdom to, to love people through the agency you've given me. And to put him at the center of your life, which means something for your day, is like to wake up tomorrow and say, God, I want you at the beginning. I want to remember you're with me. You love me. Give me wisdom. And to put him at the middle, create some space in the middle of the day. God, just remember again, already I'm feeling myself kind of starting to take back over. I don't want to walk in my own strength and rely on myself. Self-reliance is the great enemy of spirit dependence. Like, I don't want to rely on myself. I want to, like, depend on your spirit. So would you strengthen me for the rest of this day? to love, to serve, to not defend myself or manipulate situations. And at the end of the day, just to reflect, man, look at your goodness throughout the day and here's some areas where I turned from you. This was hard. Where were you? What do you want to teach me? What do you want for me tomorrow? Just creating that space. Walk in the spirit. Put God at the center and do the things he called you to do. And through that, his fame, his glory, his love, his character is radiated through the people. And we all struggle with this. I mean, like for many of us, we'll like still go into today and stumble our way through, go to sleep late tonight, wake up late tomorrow, tired, 
forget about God and get back into the, the day doing our own thing with our own strength for our own kingdom. And, and Jesus is so merciful and gracious in all of our stumbling. Jesus came into this world to, to dwell among us, to tabernacle. He is the presence of God. And he came among us not because we had done great things to achieve his presence or earn his presence. He came in grace and in mercy and in love. And he made his home with us. And he said towards the end of his life, he told some people that weren't happy about what he was doing to build this kingdom. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll build it again. So I'm the temple. I'm the dwelling place of God. All of the fullness of God is in me. And they did. They destroyed it. And he laid his life down willingly as a sacrifice. Like he's not merely the temple. He's the sacrifice in the temple through which we are cleansed and we're brought near And he rose again on the third day to give new life, new joy. And he said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to spread my presence. Nothing's going to stop it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. My kingdom will move. It's going to happen through my spirit. And he pours his spirit on us. And he says to us, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. My presence with you isn't contingent on how you felt today or how you did tomorrow or how, how you did last week. My presence with you, my love for you, is secured by my death and resurrection. So I'm with you and I'll always be with you. And so the question for us, Christ is with us. He'll be with us as we go. He'll be with you tomorrow. The question for us is will we pay attention to his presence, orient our life around his presence, and then walk with him through the day doing the good things he's called you to do for his glory and for the good of others in this city. And when we do that, his glory spreads, his beauty shines, and his kingdom is built. And this is what he's called us to. And so let's pray that he'd do that through us. Um, Jesus, we, um, we are so thankful for your mercy and your faithfulness. The fact that even now, as I feel just this week, just conviction around all these things. Um, the fact that you're patient and not, you don't condemn us. Uh, just as we read, you showed your love through your death for us. Pray you would right now secure everybody in this room in your love. Speak son, daughter, I love you, I love you. I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I'm, I haven't left you. Even if you don't feel me, I haven't left you. And then I wanna pray, Holy Spirit, that you would actually bring conviction to us, that you would shine a light on the areas of life that we've been laboring for our own kingdom with our own strength. Um, so I just want to ask you, friends, just to consider that for a moment. Where have I, even just to open up your heart, we said, we said Lord, our hearts are open to you that you would open up your heart right now and say, God, would you shine a light on some places where I'm, I'm chasing life in areas that will not give me life? Where am I chasing for life? And Holy Spirit, as you kindly shine light onto those areas, would you protect people from shame and protect people from condemnation? And would you lead people into your love right now? Just that invitation is not just to see those things, but the the call of God is to turn from those things towards him. And so maybe just another question, God, God, because of your love, how can I use my life to love others? How can I put you at the center? Maybe it's Maybe it's a reordering of your evening tonight, reordering of your day tomorrow. 
some new priorities that need to be kind of like made way. God, would you put in us not burden, but just a joy, a generosity, a kind of like open-hearted stirring, just like your spirit stirred in the hearts of these people, that your your spirit would stir here and that we'd be a people really unleashed, um, putting you at the center of our life, living our lives, and all these beautiful, powerful vocations you've called everybody around this room to, just thinking about all the stuff that's gonna happen tomorrow represented by this church is stunning to me, really beautiful, good work that you've called people to and uh, beautiful vocations and callings. And would you help us to do them with you for your kingdom, for your glory in this world? So we want to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, saying our life is yours. Um, Move, sustain us, help us, and secure us in your beautiful love, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.